0: And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi for Me Radio is Live from the Bunker.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are live from the bunker. Let's double-check and make sure that we're out there doing our thing, so... Uh, Mrs. Boss, if you can uh, double-check our audio and make sure that we're going today. So I just wanted to double-check and make sure. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are at the super-secret underground bunker at World Headquarters. Mrs. Boss says our audio is good, so that's good. Uh, The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, BR549, ask for junior samples. Uh, If you want to uh, follow us on uh, all of the social medias, it is right here where you can find sci-fi for me on pretty much everywhere on social we're not on snapchat yet but you can find us uh, pretty much everywhere else and we do appreciate uh, if you want to subscribe make sure you have your notifications on so you know when we go live Um, and this I think might be our last episode of the year we might do one tomorrow I'm not sure but today what I thought we'd do is uh, check in with some of the various different uh, indie comics creators. We've sent the link out and put the invitation out uh, to talk to some people about uh, getting some updates on their campaigns. And we'll see what we can see. First of all, let me bring in a a couple of guests here. First of all, R.J. Carter from Critical Blast Publishing. Welcome, sir.
0: Good afternoon, morning, evening. And if I don't see you later, good night.
1: All right. And Mr. Mike Murphy, who is uh, one of the comics creators that we're talking to. Hello,
2: sir. Hey, how's it going?
1: Good. All right. So, RJ, let me start with you first. Um, and let's let's go in with this thing, because you have been talking about this for a little while. And this has been the the subject of a number of conversations across various different um uh, creator spaces, both in terms of both you know the IndieGoGo crowd, and I think there's been some conversation about this over at Kickstarter. Is is the fulfillment uh, question the idea of getting books out relatively inexpensively? I know uh, shipping from the U.S. A lot of people have been talking about how do we get our books across this uh, you know across to the U.K. to Australia. We've got some different people that order books that way. But you're the only one, it seems, who have who has flipped that, and you're you're looking at delivery from outside the United States to the United States. So you've you got people like John Malin and and Clint Stoker who are trying to figure out the shipping from the U.S. You're looking at to the U.S. and it's called uh, Critical Blast Logistics. Yes. So, and, uh, what is this that you can uh, that you can tell us about this? Let's start. Well, let's start there.
0: Well, basically, we can't control the shipping out of the country. That's okay. you know set rates by all the shipping companies. But what we can do is work with what we've had inside here domestically. Uh, there have been a ton of UK products, Australia products, Canada products that their their shipping is just as high as ours is to leave the country. So what we propose with Critical Blast Logistics is that we set up ourselves as a clearinghouse so that they can find out how many books are gonna ship to the United States. Send it in one single drop ship to us. We will take care of the bagging, the boarding, the Gemini mailer, the labeling, the taping it shut, and the mailing it out to the uh, recipients. Uh, Recipients will all get a notice in their email with a tracking number, so they'll be able to follow it from uh, from our launch point to their doorstep. Uh, and we actually talked about this quite a bit last night because there are, that sounds very simple, but there's a lot more that's going to happen with this. And I've shared a screen uh, with you if um, you'd like to show that. This is, this is basically how we're doing it. Um, we basically will work with a UK or an Australian or anybody outside the US uh, to set up their crowdfunding ship costs. Uh, The first thing to do is, of course, you have to make sort of an educated guess as to how many books you might ship to the U.S. Uh, We start with 100, Um, with the average floppy being two and a half ounces, 100 books is 250 ounces. We round that way up to 25 pounds because we found out that you can ship from Great Britain a 25 pound box for 160 pounds sterling. Uh, If you take that and divide it across the 100 books you're estimating, you come up with a pound 60. Uh, I don't know whether that's pound 60 ceiling or 60 cents. I'm not, I don't live there. So I'm just going with the numbers. Right. If you take that and set it aside, that's part of your, that's going to be part of your shipping costs. Now, what we can do is we have the media mailing rates here for the U.S. Uh, and all their different levels. Uh, and what we add to that, the cost of our doing business, which is basically a unit cost for everything that puts the package together. And we're very transparent with that. What our costs are, and we're still trying to drive those down. Uh, but we can get a total shipping cost of 3.77 with with uh, materials. We charge a service fee of two dollars per unit, and that's whether it's a five pound unit or a one pound unit. It's just it's two bucks flat, uh, which means that anything that's a pound or under, which is your basic Gemini mailer package, we could do this for five dollars and seventy cents uh, U.S. Great Britain pounds. That is at this particular time and this can always be refreshed. Uh, four, four pounds 31 shilling. So, if you're setting up your campaign and you know that you're going to be putting these out, now that's 431 plus your 160, that's five pounds 90 uh, for shipping. Even if you round that up to seven pounds just to have a cushion, that's a lot cheaper than what you're putting on your shipping rate right now. And that's what we're trying to do is to, to make that shipping cost cheaper that makes your product more attractive to the U S audience. They're not turned away by the shipping costs. So what kind, of,
1: what kind of response have you had for this yet? I mean, cause I know it's still early days, but have you had, uh, have you had people coming to you and asking questions and, and showing any kind of interest yet?
0: We have had interest. We have had questions. You know, people have asked about uh, customs, import taxes. Uh, that was something we researched and it turns out to be a whole non-starter. Uh, there's like an $800, uh, trigger limit before the customs taxes are uh, even set off, at which point, you know, they say, well, what is it? The HTS code uh, that applies to comic books is exempt from import tax. So it's a total non-starter there. We have spoken with people in Australia and in the UK, and there is interest. We have not yet had somebody say, "Okay, help me set up my crowdfunder yet, because it is very, very early. Right. But two of the things that we kind of springboarded out of on this was that if you're going to send, say, 130 books to us, that because that's how many you sold in the U.S., we encourage two things. We encourage slight overshipping, send 150, because if you go in demand and you get more U.S. orders, then you don't have to ship again. They're already here. Uh, so you save that that second ship out notice. Uh, secondly, if you're going to slightly overship, why not greatly overship? Because what we're planning on doing after that, once we've, once we've got things established where we got more than one client, uh, we're going to let all the U.S. retail comic shop owners know of our existence and our catalog so that if they want to have import comics in their shop, they might be able to say, hey, give me two Charlie's London's, give me a Mary Boy's, uh, give me five Lucent's. And guess what? We're going to bundle that all in one box, not three shipping charges to three different places. Uh, and we're going to take the money from them, pass it back to the UK crowdfunder and the Australian crowdfunders, uh, say, here's the money for your book. We took care of the shipping, and we make the money off the shipping.
1: All right. Now, you mentioned the Lucent, you mentioned Mary Boys, you mentioned Charlie's London. Those are all Comicsgate titles. Are they're you just the...
0: examples of ones I know right now coming from outside. Okay. Europe. So that's,
1: that's what I wanted to clarify. This service is available for any, any independent comic creator, no matter what platform they're using, no matter if they're affiliating with Comicsgate or not. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay.
0: Absolutely. And uh, in fact, when we do get to that point where I'm talking about bundling things for retailers, Uh, We will be open to hold books in a clearinghouse for U.S. comics uh, crowdfunding people who, you know, just want to be able to get their books into the U.S. market. So it could still be all shipped in one package. Uh, Right now, we are focusing, of course, on the extraterritorial market because that's where it's all going to start.
1: Now, have you had conversations with John Malin about any of this stuff? Because he's been looking on the domestic side about uh doing something similar where you know he he he's looking at creating a fulfillment service and mike you can jump in here on this if you want i don't know if you've had any conversation with john on it but has this been uh has this been a conversation that has been going on with the creators about the kind of logistics that are involved in getting these things out
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I talked with John a little bit before he kind of got things rolling with the, uh, the fulfillment company that he's, you know, handling and yeah, it's a huge issue on the creative end of sides, uh, on the creative end of things. So, you know, like for example, um, our first campaign, Samurai and Dinosaurs, and even the, um, the leftovers campaign that we just got done wrapping up, um, shipping internationally is a huge issue. Uh, yeah, I think on average the cheaper end of, uh, shipping is 12 to $15 if you're lucky. Uh, but most of the time it, uh, it, you know, it ends up being somewhere between say 18 and $23. So, uh, yeah, when, (laughs) when you were saying like $5 90, I'm like, all right. Um, so, yeah, it is It is definitely an issue on our end of things. And um, I don't know, like, the logistics of it sound uh, really good, man. And I hope this is something that gains momentum because, you know, it would be a, a huge weight off of our end on the creative side of things.
1: How much of a difference between... Shipping from the U.S. to the to the U.K., for example, or shipping out of the U.S. versus shipping into the U.S. Are we looking at the same kind of exorbitant costs going both ways? Because I know Peter Samedi has talked about uh, shipping alternate titles to Europe and the U.K. And he's been talking about, you know, possibly finding like what you're talking about, RJ, having a central hub. Where then, you know, I ship from the U.S. to the hub in London, or where, you know, or wherever, and then from there, since it's already in Europe, it can ship throughout Europe from that point. So this is, sounds similar to what you're doing, just coming back in, in the same way. Are the costs uh, comparatively prohibitive both ways? I mean, is yeah. it is it just as expensive to ship here as it is to ship out?
0: it's actually almost more expensive to ship out of the U S than it is to ship into the U S from some of these countries. Okay.
2: So there, you- there's
0: actually some countries that have treaties with us where uh, like Switzerland, their, their price to ship uh, here is almost the same price as our domestic shipping.
1: So how is this, uh, how, how does this be? And how is this scalable? because you're you're a small shop i mean it's you and i don't know how many people you've got working with you but there's uh, it with all of this with indie crowds uh indie crowdfunding everybody is kind of off doing them their own thing themselves so you guys are talking back and forth you're having communications you're learning from each other you're helping each other out with advice and whatnot but in terms of I don't, want to, I don't want to compare it, but collective bargaining, I guess, would be a good way to, you know, or, or group, in, a group plan insurance type of thing where you have a number of different people buy into this one thing in order to bring the costs down. Have there been any discussions of stuff like that, some kind of a setup?
0: Not so far with me, no. It's, um, it's, it's pretty much, you know, a very small operation. Uh, we're still looking for client number one plant zero to be precise and then spread it from there uh, if we show success with one then that's going to be the word of mouth that gets out to everyone else that says hey I sold you know uh, X number of comics to the US which is hopefully you know X percent more than I did my last crowdfunding campaign because I got my ship costs down mm-hmm. and that will entice the rest to join in I hope now,
1: Robert makes a point in the chat, uh, Canada Post, because uh, he's up in Canada, Post offers media mail discounts, but comics would not qualify. Right, have you run into, in your, in your research, have you run into certain uh, uh, countries where comic books wouldn't count as media mail?
0: Uh, well, I'm only looking at U.S. for media mail. Whatever they ship it here as is completely, you know, in, in their ballpark. Once it gets here, we can do media mail. The thing about comics and media mail is that the regulations are old. At the post office, uh, they were written when you know, comic book subscriptions were a thing. And the comics don't count because comic books contained advertising. And advertising is something that was prohibited by the media mail. What we're really shipping are graphic novels. Okay. And, and even the floppies that are being put out uh, through crowdfunding – as long as they do not have advertising, and I've seen some crowd funders start to sell advertising pages in their books, so be aware if that's something you're doing. Uh, if it contains advertising, it's not available for media mail. Now, sometimes the post office needs education on their own regulations. We've seen like Donald DeLay had <laughs> boxes of his opened up by the post office because they had the right to open a media mail yep. and sent back saying, hey, comic books don't count. Well, they don't count because of advertising, and the books didn't have any. So that's a that's something that you have to push sometimes.
1: Okay, Mike, have y'all had uh, conversations along those lines? Has anybody else run into that besides Donald?
2: Uh, yeah, uh, we we sure have. Not not a lot, but it's definitely happened. Maybe four or five times. Uh, the worst the worst one was we got uh, one package sent back to our post office, and uh, in green marker on the back of it was scrawled something to the effect of comic books are not media mail, uh, tried to deliver with an additional charge, uh, person you were sending this to didn't want to pay the additional charge. Uh, do not send this as media mail. And it, you know, I just, I wanted to, wanted to kill that person, whoever it was. Um, they wrote on the product. They they didn't write on the products. They wrote on the outside of the box, but the outside of the box was clearly opened, and uh, yeah, the the actual contents of the box weren't in great shape after being shipped out and then shipped back. Um, so yeah, that wasn't a that wasn't a great experience. But yeah, it's um, it's that thing where it's you know the logistics of trying to you know as as you said you know getting the postal uh, system up to date on its own policies. And if you can't literally get in touch with everyone who's going to be handling that package, I mean, we're honestly just starting to phase, you know, media mail out here at GB comics. Like we're just sending, you know, priority first class in some cases, um, you know, the tail end of fulfillment on, you know, the leftovers campaign for samurai. Most of those were just going out, you know, priority mail, uh, because, part of what slowed us down from fulfilling uh, the leftovers campaign was this was starting to become more and more of an issue. And since it's the last of the first printing, I can't replace any lost copies. So we just wanted to make sure that they got to who ordered them. Right.
1: So RJ, what's the next step in terms of getting the word out on this uh, for you? Because, you know, everybody, everybody right now, we're all using kind of the same tools with, you know, social media and email and and networking and back and forth. Uh, Have you, have you found anybody else who's willing to be brand ambassadors as it were, and, and kind of help spread the word that what you're trying to do here?
0: Well, we're trying to get on uh, several different shows. Um, We've we uh, just talked about this the other last Saturday night on our Christmas show with the LCS guys, and Billy Tucci was one of our guests. Uh, he said that he'll have me on Pop XP to push it out uh, to get that you know word out to his audience. Uh, and, and I do want to add that you know the example I showed was media mail, but obviously if you're going to throw in tchotchkes that might include action figures and other such things. Uh, we have the tabs for everything else. It's you know if you want to have to send it first class or priority, we'll have those rates, uh, and it'll all be upfront. Uh, we also have the tabs for you know if you're in Great Britain and you like that A4 sized book, uh, that's a different charge as well because it's a different kind of packaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're trying to cover all the possibilities of uh, of shipping. Okay.
1: All right. Well, Mike, let's uh, let's talk about your project here for just a second. Deepwell, uh, you guys have w- w- cleared well above your goal.
2: Congratulations there! Thank you, thank you so much.
1: So, how is uh, how are things going here on the back end now that uh, now that we're past our uh, past the end date? Uh, this is in demand. Are, are your artwork done? Books finished? Halfway finished? Where are we at? Uh,
2: I think we're coming up on the two thirds mark in terms of production. So, with Deepwell, uh, I think we're on page sixteen in terms of the art. And I'm trailing behind on the colors. I think I'm on uh, page 9 or 10 at this point. So it's going good. And, you know, we're still on track for an early fulfillment in 2021. And, yeah, between this and God's Fear Me, uh, both of those books are going to be coming out relatively close to each other. And then we'll roll out the Red Key in March, which is, you know, our next project. So things are going good.
1: Now, in terms of fulfillment, you got everything everything you need and and all of that plan locked down, or is that something that's still? Because you've done this is not your first.
2: No, no, campaign, right? uh, yeah, no. This will so uh, God's fear me will be the next campaign we fulfill, and then this will be after that, and there'll probably be a gap of like two months, maybe three at most. Um, so yeah, like we're. We're starting to get things set up for Deepwell, but right now, because we're so close to fulfillment on God's Fair Me, like that's where all of our energy is going.
0: Okay. All right.
1: I saw uh, Michael Bancroft's uh, stream last night talking about uh, the number of books uh, that have come out and all of the money that's that's been going on. Right. And um, – it strikes me it's interesting that I'm looking at various different media coverage of independent comics. I was kind of, kind of hoping to have uh, a few others in here to talk about this, but something that I've noticed mm-hmm. is all of the all of the the media coverage here seems to be focused on Kickstarter
2: oh yeah, yeah
1: and. Okay, I mean, 22 million on Kickstarter, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. But then you have here almost 6 million uh, that's been raised on Indiegogo. I mean, that's not chump change. I mean, it's certainly not the exact same scale.
2: Right, right.
1: But why do you guys and this is just throw this open to everyone why do you think that there's not as much attention being thrown to comics on indiegogo as opposed to kickstarter because it's all independent comic books
2: right right um well i mean you know i mean clearly the the largest issue is you know indiegogo is what you know the majority if not all of you know, comics gate associated creators use. So that alone has kind of gotten the platform branded as a a no-go in terms of like covering it on social media or in just straight up media. Uh, and it's, it's unfortunate because, you know, I mean, within comics gates, there's, there's such a wealth of creative talent. And, you know, if you're talking outside comics gate, there are, you know, projects that still use Indiegogo. Um, and it's it's unfortunate that because we we're kind of branded you know the way we are that those creators who still choose to use Indiegogo but aren't associated with us they still don't get any coverage either. And um, yeah, I mean you would think you would think with some of the numbers that you know these projects are pulling in, um, it would be worth noting. And uh, what's funny is. I'm sure when they talk about overall numbers, you know, because now crowdfunding is listed as part of what uh, the comics industry brings in on a yearly basis, I'm sure when it comes to the numbers, we're still being added into that mix. But when it comes to actually covering multiple platforms outside of Kickstarter, um, you know, we're just, we're kind of left out, uh, left out in the cold, so to speak.
1: Well now let me flip the script on you a little bit because uh you know most most of the comic movement has essentially sworn off Kickstarter uh mm-hmm. is there a little bit of pot calling the kettle black here because you know the Kickstarter <sighs> Kickstarter seems to be the favorite among certain comics professionals, and sure. that, you know the media is going to be covering them more than they will the the Indiegogo stuff because of the the guilt by association of sorts. Right? Is uh is comic are comics gates creators guilty of sort of the same thing? Because well, Kickstarter is only you know they've got the. They've got the political stuff that's been going on with their content czar and, and deciding what's acceptable and what's not. And I've noticed this amongst the, the, the Star Wars uh, fandom splits and discussions and debates as well is, you know, we've decided that X is no good because of fill in the blank. Sure. So we're never going to do anything with <clears throat> this ever again. Are, are, mm-hmm. are Comics Gate creators cutting their noses off despite their own faces in order to, to do one over on Kickstarter where we'll show you Neener Neener? Or is it, <laughs> sure. is it deeper than that?
2: Sure. I'm, I mean, look, sure, there might be a little bit of that. Uh, you know, I don't think that's necessarily the case for us specifically, but I could see some creators being like, no, it, it is what it is. Like, I'll never use that platform. Um, for for us specifically, uh, we don't use Kickstarter because we just think that Indiegogo is the better platform. Um, I I like the in-demand feature. I, I like that, you know, once we've hit our goal, it's no longer a case of like, okay, well, you know, once the deadline hits, you know, the campaign's done. Um, However long it takes, you know, four, five, six, nine months to, you know, complete the project and get it out the door, you know, and fulfill it. Um, That entire time, the page acts as a storefront. And, you know, especially for smaller creators, you know, or companies like us who are like mid-tier and still growing our audience, it's, um... it's such a great option that you know, allows for income to still keep coming in and for that new audience that we're building to discover stuff. So for us, it's just a matter of logistics and convenience. But I I, I don't know, man. Like, sure, I guess ultimately there's a larger audience for comics on Kickstarter. But then you have to ask yourself, well, I mean, since so much of the content that's on Kickstarter is screened and needs to be approved before it even gets onto the platform. Like what are the, what are the odds if like someone scrolls through like, you know, a, a, an average creator's social media, that that project is even going to make it onto Kickstarter.
0: Right.
1: I Would if Kickstarter adds the in demand, would that make it more attractive for, for some campaigns or, or even even if your primary campaign is Indiegogo, mm-hmm. would it not make sense to have an additional campaign on Kickstarter to supplement that? And just kind of cover your bases on both on, on both sides, or is it worth the effort? I
2: see a um, lot of people doing that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I know um, I know Tucci does that or did that at least. Uh, you know, with the first she campaign, I don't know if he's doing it with the second or not. Um, but that would have to be a thing like I'd have to run past him and like some of the other creators where it's like, OK, well, you use both. Uh, is it financially worth it or, you know, is the audience that you're getting on Kickstarter, you know, kind of on par with what you're getting from Indiegogo? I, mm-hmm. I'd have to do more research.
1: RJ, have you noticed, uh, are there a lot of uh, creators that are double dipping, as it were, or that are going in and doing campaigns on both sides or... Is- or is it just one or the other?
0: Now, I've seen several doing it. Usually they like to start with Kickstarter. And then when that's done, uh, they'll bring it over to Indiegogo and give it like a really low goal so that they get to in demand right away. Um, right. If they, get, they crowdfunded it on Kickstarter and they met goal, Then they'll come over to Indiegogo and say, hey, I need $500. So it's like, boom, done. And then it's just it's, it's a way of, you know, continuing to collect the money. Um, right. and i think it's because indiegogo does give you that in demand function whereas kickstarter was like okay you met goal we're you know the d- deadline's up you're out no more no, no more money collecting mm-hmm. as as a, on the purchasing side i prefer books that are on indiegogo than are on kickstarter uh, and that has nothing to do with the politics of either platform that has to do with the fact that i like to use my my paypal account to pay for books and when I'm looking at something, I will pull up my PayPal statement and say, hey, look, I have 40 bucks in here. I'm going to back this uh, project. Well, if it's Kickstarter, uh, I'll forget that I backed it. And then, you know, like a month later, I'll say, hey, look, I've got forty five dollars in PayPal. I'm going to back this Indiegogo project. Indiegogo takes my money. And then three days later, Kickstarter says, hey, you promised us 40 bucks that uh, we don't have. I'm like, why didn't you take it when I gave it to you?
2: <laughs> right,
0: right, right.
1: In, in terms of turnaround time for, for payments, uh, is there, you know, RJ, you're talking about uh, how much money they're taking or how often they take the money as a backer. Uh, I have not, I mean, I've, I've, I've done one campaign on each and neither one of them made goals. So I haven't gone to the point where uh, I get paid. So how much of a delay is there on each platform between when everything closes out and you get your money and you're able to do stuff? Because in the meantime, you guys are racking up all these expenses with artists and colorists and letterers and and printers and and all of that. What's What's your turnaround time? How much pad are you needing to have as a safety net to cover the costs of making these books before you get the money in from the campaign?
0: Yeah, well, Kickstarter is longer because Kickstarter doesn't even collect the money until it's successfully funded. Indiegogo at least takes the money right then and puts it into sort of an escrow account. Uh, So then they can, you know, once it closes, they have their waiting period uh, to make sure there's no refunds coming out before they kick it to you. Uh, Kickstarter's got the collection and then the waiting period. So it's a little bit longer with Kickstarter. Hmm.
1: So, Mike, have you you encountered issues with... You know, making sure everything gets covered in the meantime, has that been um, a, a challenge or is that something that's relatively manageable as far as the logistics go? Because you're, you're taking it a piece at a time. Right. So you got to get the line art done. You got to get the colors done. You got to get the, the letters done and go to print. Mm-hmm. Are you able to to spread that out and, and cover that piece by piece?
2: Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, you know, the way Indiegogo works is, uh, especially when you're a new client, um, what they'll do is they'll put your money on hold once the campaign is successful and it can take anywhere from like two to three weeks. I mean, there were, there were horror stories in the early days. You know, you had, uh, people like Sim, uh, Simon Simpothier who, uh, you know, his, his campaign was successful, but it took months to get the uh, funds transferred to him. But that was more of a logistic like bank issue that he like Indiegogo and his bank just wouldn't communicate with each other properly. And it was causing this big hiccup, but you know, that's kind of the exception to the rule for the most part, you know, they take a few weeks and then disperse the funds. And once you kind of have a positive uh, reputation and they see that you've done this a handful of times, like even with us um, at this point, when we launch a campaign, pretty much as soon as uh, the goal hits, you know, that week funds are dispersed to us. So, you know, there's really no waiting time anymore for us. Um, you know, once we have the funds, they, they go into our business checking account and they just kind of sit there and we, you know, disperse it as needed. You know, we usually pay our artists per chunks of five pages and we, pay our letter per chunks of three page three pages so every time we get work we send money and we send more work and then they send it back and it's it's a nice production cycle
1: and have you run into issues with refunds creating a hiccup in that in that pipeline much
2: um a few a few times you know there were not a lot but again between like four and eight people who like let's You know, let's use uh, God's Fear Me as an example. So we hit a production issue on the art that delayed things by, to be honest, a good five to six months. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, so it was a substantial thing. And we made our backers aware of it the entire time that it was happening. Um, And so, you know, like, we did get hit with a couple refund requests and our general policy is if you if you backed the book within two weeks and you want a refund we automatically issue it and obviously while the campaign is funding you're free to take your money back whenever you want right um but if it's been if we're in demand and it's been longer than two weeks Uh, especially at this point where you know we're months into production and like say for the art, like it's almost done Um, yeah like those are the rare instances where like we don't honor refund requests because it's like well the money's spent like I, I can't give you money back that doesn't exist unless I pull it from my personal funds and then you get into logistical things like well okay you have to keep track of that person who got the refund and like we had one refund request on the first samurai campaign and I know I ended up just sending that person the book anyway, because you know, like a month or two later I just forgot who it was. Um, So yeah, that's, that's kind of why, like if it's after two weeks, like we, we can't do it.
1: On the legal side of things, I know uh, I know that these uh, crowdfunding platforms have their terms of service and they have all of their requirements and these and those and therefores and wherefores. Do you guys, as independent creators, have there been discussions about establishing a sort of, not necessarily a, uh, a, a, an overall blanket policy, but have, have there been discussions about, well, how do we handle X situation when this comes up? Is there now kind of, because all of, all of you guys have been doing more than one book. Now this has been going on for a while. It's been proven to be relatively sustainable, at least in the short term. Mm -hmm. But now you've got enough experience and enough projects done is there now kind of a best practices list somewhere that that people are compiling and say, "Well, we've learned this. Now here's the guide that everybody else can use and contribute to, and and further further the discussion and the and the learning from each other part of it."
2: Um, I mean, I'd say there are kind of unspoken agreements, but you know what's great about the indie scene whether you're talking about within cg or out of cg is we're all kind of our own islands right you know uh the policy you know like again the the two-week policy for example like you know there are some creators who never do refunds and there are some creators who honor every single refund request that they get and there are creators like us there are somewhere in the middle um you know, like there's there's kind of general, uh, unwritten stuff like, hey, you know, like if um, if the campaign is going to be delayed longer than a year, there there better be a good reason for it, and you know the backers have to know what's going on. Right. Um. Another kind of unspoken thing is, you know, you know, updates are updates are key. Updates are essential. You know, you should be updating your campaign at least once a month. That's what we do. And, um, you know, like just general stuff like that. But, you know, something formal that like we all kind of agree to. Like it's there are so many different personality types and, you know, business ethics, you know, at, at play with all the different people involved. It's it would be like herding cats trying to get something formally put together like that.
1: I would, I, I would understand that. Uh, I I guess I was thinking more along the lines of something a little less formal, but, you know, maybe a shared Google document somewhere that says, hey, I ran into this or, or a, a running chat where people are talking about the various different situations they encounter and how they've learned, you know. I ran up against this shipping problem. Here's how we figured it out how to, how to solve it. Those, those kind of things, they, you know, recommendations <laughs> for printers and, and how to, how to reduce costs. What kind of, you know, the Gemini mailer versus whatever is out there. Those kind of
2: discussions. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, oral history,
0: it's still an ongoing oral history and it's, and it's a right. lot like uh, the pirates of the Caribbean pirates code. You know, it's, it's more of a guideline. <laughs> right.
1: Well, because I, I, I look at, you know, some of the different streams and some of the different videos and, and conversations that people are having online in the various different channels. And every now and again, it crosses my mind. Somebody should be writing all this down. Somebody should be collecting all of this in, in, a, in a repository where whether you're comics gate or not indiegogo or kickstarter or wherever you have this basic set of thing things what we learned doing this so the next time somebody does it you've got a reference guide and that reference guide continues to grow and and expand based on what everybody's experiences are
0: the 10 best things you need to know to crowdfund your project coming soon from critical blast publishing We're going to <laughs> the
1: and the 10 worst things because you got to do that whole the, right. you got to do cbr type of thing right
2: right right right
1: uh in that case it'd be five and five so i yeah it's 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 been interesting to watch the development of all of these campaigns and the progress that independent comics creators have have made in the last three or four years. I mean, even before Comicsgate was a thing mm-hmm. where there were discussions about you know the creator owned IPs versus just doing stuff for DC and Marvel because of the complaints about how. You know the quality of the craft, the quality of the stories. Thing, you know, ma- why is Marvel doing another event? Why is Marvel doing another, you know, number all new number ones all the way across the board again? You know those right. kind of things, and and with New Fifty Two and then Rebirth, and it just seems like the bigger publishers are locked into this cycle of let's reinvent ourselves every couple of two or three years but we're reinventing the thing with another of the same thing. They're not actually reinventing anything. They're just, they're changing the cosmetics of it, but really not much of anything else.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, if you, if you look at the, the mainstream comic industry or, you know, unfortunately what's left of it at this point, I mean, You know, if you if you look at their numbers and you adjust their numbers, you know, as best you can, because a lot of times those numbers are sales to shops, not readers. Right. Um, you could guesstimate that there's maybe a hundred to two hundred thousand potential people out there who want to buy comic books. And especially when you look at pretty much any other industry, like that's, that's a really tiny number. So yeah, of course it's going to come down to like, it, like it's kind of the equivalent of like, um, using the paddles on someone that's already dead. Right. Like you're, you're stimulating them for a second and here, like here's another number one, here's another event, you know, here's another character dying. Um, And that'll like creep those numbers up a little bit, but then they just sink right back down to like, you know, 15 to Um, 40,000. I get why they do what they do, but, you know, it's as we're seeing playing out, especially across 2020 in hindsight, like it's it's unsustainable.
1: Do you guys see at any point where indie comics can be a more regular thing than one or two books a month? Or, or a year, rather. Um, RJ, you're muted. How did I? How, did I do that, or did you do that?
0: That my furnace came on, so I decided okay. I would okay. plug you with the roar of it. Uh, but yeah, not under the current crowdfunding model, I can't see it because it's it's at least a, a, a five month process for a campaign to take right. effect. So unless something starts running. Uh, multi-campaigns, you know, in a staggered format, which right now, as soon as you do it, it's a red flag to the consumer. Um, it, it's going to be months and months between the issues. Well,
1: is it a red flag? Because uh, uh, Richard Meyer seems to be doing okay with it. And I mean, granted, he's got an established track record. Yeah, right. You can afford to right. do that kind of thing at this point. Uh, and most of you guys, uh, Mike, you have you know multiple books, you know multiple campaigns as you've already gone through. I guess mm-hmm. d- depending on how many have been fulfilled, right See at some point where you can expand and say, okay, we're gonna launch this book in March. We're gonna launch this book in May. We're gonna launch this book in August.
2: um well, for for us specifically, you know I, I made this promise to our backers last year. Uh, that they wouldn't see more than one project fulfilling and one project funding from us at a time, you know, and I'd like to keep that going for at least another year to continue to build our audience and build up our trust with that audience. But I I think people are starting to give us some slack now that we've done two campaigns and we're about to fulfill a third, but you know, honestly, I don't see it changing even after a year for us, you know, because it's just my wife and I on the fulfillment end of things. Um, And fulfillment for two people, even when you're talking about like three to 500 books, you know, for our campaign on average, our campaigns on average, like that's a lot of legwork and that's a huge time commitment, especially when we both work freelance, we're raising a kid. Um, So I would, I would like to expand i would like to do more than like three campaigns a year but you know again kind of like the situation that richard has that's gonna that's going to have to come with a bigger audience and that's also going to have to come with like expanding what chibi comics is because if you look at 499 the the campaign that he just launched you know sure on the creative end of things he's involved with it but he's pretty much said that uh, when it comes to the production of the book and the printing of the book and the fulfillment, that's all going to be on Narwhal. Right. So, so when we get to that point where I can literally say to someone like, "Hey, here's X amount of income. Now you take care of everything." I uh, three, maybe four years a book, uh, four books a year tops is about all we can handle production wise.
1: Now, RJ, as somebody who's backed a number of these, when you you say that that sometimes multiple campaigns all at once from one backer sends up red flags. What are the kind of concerns that you have as, as a backer, but also now that you're looking at, uh, you know, setting up logistics for fulfillment? What, what do you, what kind of a red flag is it for you when, when you've got, somebody like Mike or, or any of the creators who sit there and go, okay, we've got six, six campaigns going all at once. Why would that be a, an issue?
0: Well, again, you, if you are talking about somebody who's got a track record, uh, like Richard Meyer does, then it's, it's less of an issue. Uh, obviously, you know, that's how you become almost a mainstream publisher is that you start putting out multiple books, uh, because mm-hmm. you're, you're hiring multiple writers now, multiple artists, which is mm-hmm. what Richard's kind of doing. He's becoming a publishing house. Um, which is something that you can do and increase production once you've gotten your brand or your crowdfunding up to the point where it's your full-time income. A lot of these people are working at night because you know, they've got their day jobs to, uh, to live and eat off of. Uh, if you can get your income to replace your full-time income, then ideally you can be like Richard C. Meyer and start to put out multiple books a year, or you can be Ethan Van Skyver and put out uh, a book every year and a half. <laughs> it's,
1: well now the you mentioned ethan because he's got uh what's the the new snowman one that that he's doing that it looks like all caps comics is publishing but it doesn't look like he's involved in the creative he's deciding to to put right. his imprint on it exactly are we going to start seeing some of the some of the longer running uh creators getting into that side of things maybe where you have you know. Indie comics imprints that start to take on other creators. Mike, you've talked about expanding uh, and, and looking at that possibility. What kind of circumstances would have to apply in order to sit there and go, okay, Chibi Comics is going to publish a book by R.J. Carter. And you guys are just the publishing element, not the creative
2: Right. Well, I honestly, you know, uh, two months ago now, we kind of ran into that situation with, uh, Thomas Moria, which is a book by Stefani Renee. Uh, we got to know Stefani. We became friends with him and, uh, and, you know, uh, on a, on a side note, like immediately it was that thing of like, dude, I'm stealing you before anyone else gets their hands on you. Cause he's an incredible talent. Um, um, so, so actually, like, that's the project, like, next year, like, in March that we're going to be launching. It's a book with him. But anyway, um, y- you know, like, we got to talking to him, and it was, you know, he fell into that camp of creators where, because of his location, he's in Brazil, um, he's not allowed to use Indiegogo. And so there have been a handful of, you know, publishers and creators that kind of host campaigns for other creatives so that they can get their work out and there was that discussion at first of like okay well are we just going to host this campaign for stefani or are we going to be a publishing imprint for him and we ultimately decided just to host it for him you know he is his own publishing house he's you know he's handling everything the campaign is just under my wife's name. Um, but, you know, like that's already happening. And again, we're just like a small to mid-tier publisher. So I'm sure that this conversation is going to keep coming up over the next like two to three years. And at some point, yeah, we're we're going to have to like start branching out and just leave leave these books to other creators. But, you know, have them published under Chibi Comics. And that when that happens, that's going to be a whole different discussion.
1: At one yeah. point... At what point does it become prohibitive to use Comics Gate as a label? Because I know there are people that have been out there trying to trying to make Comics Gate a brand and an imprint and a logo and all these other things, what Preston is doing and all of that. And I think I think John Delarose or or Vox Day tried to do it for a while. Right. At, at some point, does it become a little bit more of a uh, obstacle to label something comics gate Because you guys are you guys are chibi comics and mm-hmm. Ethan is all caps comics and all this. But the marketing of some of these books, not all of them, have have focused on the comic skate as- aspect of things. Sure. At what point does that become a turnoff? When, when did that become a liability, do you think, or, or does it?
2: Um, I mean, you know, I'm not going, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. You know, obviously there have been people who have straight up said to me, like, oh, well, you're a part of comic skate, so I'll never support you. You know, like, yeah, that happens. But, um, the, the reality is, you know, in our specific case, You know, my wife and I spent the better part of a decade, like, working on the fringes of mainstream comics. And it got to the point where most of our income, and this is still the case, most of our income came from freelance writing and illustration work outside of comics. Because comic inside the mainstream, like, there just isn't any type of financial incentive to work in comics. And on top of that, you have like a whole bunch of gatekeeping issues and you, you have to play politics and like rub the right elbows. So, you know, like for us specifically, we came from not the best situation and to go from to go from an an industry and a fan base that wanted nothing to do with us because we didn't want to play ball to this big pool filled with people who were all happy that we were just there. Um, You know, for us, it kind of comes down to loyalty a little bit. You know, like these people took us in. These people gave us a shot creatively that most people didn't, give us for the better part of a decade and, you know, financially we're doing better now than we ever have. So, you know, while there is a, a cost associated with being a part of comics gate, it's one that I'm happy to pay because, you know, these are my readers. These are the people actually supporting us and showing interest in our work. And I'm, it's whatever the cost is, I'm fine with it.
0: Yeah, I think as soon as the uh, buying pool that labels itself Comicsgate shrinks, that's when it becomes a liability. But as long as it's a huge buying pool, uh, right. keep selling.
1: But you also have to contend with the fact that you've got people out there saying this is a hate movement, it's a hate group. And and so the the reputation management now becomes a thing that you guys have to deal with in addition to just marketing your book, you have to overcome preconceived notions that people have. I mean, you look at the media coverage of of Indiegogo versus Kickstarter, for example,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the you know, it's like we've seen with other things regarding politics. You know, media tends to lean in a particular direction, whatever the topic is. And if you're not in that same general side, right? then you all, not only do you have to sit there and say, here's my book, here's why it's good. You also have to sit there and say, here's my book, here's why it's not bad. You're fighting on two fronts there. Is that, is it harder to get the word out about your books or you're just reaching out to a different audience and just not even worry about the rest of that?
2: I mean, we, we personally just don't really worry about it. I mean, you know, we use the hashtag comicsgates, you know, across all of our marketing on Twitter um, less so on Facebook, just because hashtags aren't really a thing on Facebook. Right. Um, but it's, it's something that honestly, we just don't really worry about. And, we, you know, like to address the, the problem specifically, I always go back to what people like Richard and Ethan said during like the first year, year and a half of CG where you, you yell out that there's a fire and people are going to come to see the fire. And then when I think the average person sees, Oh, this isn't a fire. This is just a bunch of dudes hanging out on live streams, talking about comics and making comics You know, sure, there is kind of that branding issue from mainstream coverage and, you know, journalists and all those people. Um, But I think that there is this silent majority of people who, when they see stuff coming out through CG uh, and when they look at the live streams and the YouTube channels and the Twitter accounts, I think most people are smart enough to realize like, okay, like this isn't, this isn't what it's being branded as. Sure. You're going to have a couple people who, you know, because I don't know, because Kurt Busiek says that we are, you know, what we are. uh, They're going to ascribe that to us forever because, you know, they've been following Kurt Busiek and reading his work for decades. But I don't know, like the, the audience is growing. And I think that's largely because they're seeing the books and they're seeing us, you know, doing the heavy lifting like this on YouTube and they're not seeing what they're being told is what it is. So I, I don't think it's an issue.
0: I think if the, um, because the marketing for all the crowdfunding is almost on a one-on-one basis where you're talking directly with your consumers uh, and they see the hashtag, they're aware of it. I think if the marketing ever expands beyond the direct to the consumer market. As I talked about earlier with a uh, retail catalog for uh, comic shops, if it ends up on the store shelf, honestly, the buying public is not looking at it and saying, oh, this looks like a cool book. I've never heard of this book. Oh, let me research real quickly the history and social media uh, taglines of the guy who wrote it or drew it. You know, if, if that were the case and, you know, Marvel and DC sales would be even lower than they probably were, the general public doesn't care. Sure. I mean, they, they, they care if you find a comic book that's, you know, written and drawn by Adolf Hitler, then, you know, they're like, Oh, I know that guy.
2: (laughs) Right. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. Well,
2: yeah. And that was, that was, that was Richard's entire point. Like back in the day, you know, like with that first um, jawbreakers campaign, you know, I think so many people flock to it because there was this kind of thing in the air of like, Oh, like this, this book got removed from a publisher and like this, this, the, the writer says all this, this, this terrible stuff. And then you see it. And like, it's just a bunch of like GI Joe expendable dudes, like punching a monkey for like 48 pages. And you're like, there's it, this isn't my struggle or whatever. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a comic. Like,
1: well, and ultimately, yeah. At the end of the day, I mean, you guys are telling stories. You're telling stories that you want to that you want to see in the comics. And you're not seeing them anywhere else. You're making them up. I mean, this is this is not very much different from. And I don't want to I don't want to put it in the same category as fan fiction. But this is there's a picture that's going around right now of a couple of kids playing with Star Wars action figures. And the, and the caption is John Favreau and Dave Filoni coming up with the next Mandalorian story. And, uh-huh. it, and it's basically that's what it is. We're taking those we're taking those types of characters that we like to read about Mm -hmm. no stories that we like and we're making our own and we're making you know well i say we you you guys are 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 coming up with the stories that you want to read that you're not seeing anywhere else and i i don't get a sense now with a few people mike s miller being one of them i i there are a few out there that are overtly political in their themes sure but by and large, for the most part, all, you know, all of you guys, whether it's Comics Gate or people like Sean Gordon Murphy or Scott Snyder or any anybody else that's doing it on the kick side, uh, the Kickstarter side of things, I don't see political titles. I don't see political stories. I see let's tell the story about whatever this character is.
0: Yeah. Right. He- the whole thing about political comics wasn't so much that you know nobody wanted to see a magnificent seven or a uh, POTUS Thump uh, book. It was the fact that you were seeing books that didn't look political until you got into them, and they're like, oh, crap, this is all political business. Uh, so it was like stealth political comics.
2: Right, right. Yeah. yeah, the 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 reference I keep going back to was that, um, I think it was written by Karen Gillan, uh, it was either an issue of Thor or Angela, uh, where they had... Um, uh, I can't remember the character, but basically they replaced all of his dialogue. Like they blacked out his dialogue and just replaced it with like this cutesy, like uh, what he's actually saying is like actually racist and homophobic and like just straight up blacking out the dialogue and replacing it with like those buzzwords. Um, I I think that was one of the breaking points for me. And I know once it started circulating, a lot of people were like, all right, this is the level that we're at. Um, Yeah. But but yeah, like we're it, it, especially here at Chibi. Like I I don't care about pushing my politics on people. Like I I really am just here because these are the books that I've wanted to write my entire adult life, and I'm in a position now where I can hire artists to help me realize them and build an audience and build a future for my wife and I. Like that's all I'm doing. Like. Yeah. You know, something like The Gods Fear Me, um, Deep Well, the uh, The Red Key next year with Stefani. They're not political books, they're just they they are the best entertainment that I'm capable of producing, and I really do just want you to have a good time with them.
1: Right. Well, and sci-fi Song makes a point in, in the chat about you know, it's it's become about putting you know, putting the political in where it has no business being. And I get where people sit there and say comics have always been political or star Trek has always been political. And, and if you want to put something in as a, as a something to think about, here's the moral of the story in the subtext, that's a completely different thing from coming in and saying, you must learn this lesson here. This is what we're going to tell you.
0: They were political, but they weren't pedantic.
2: Right.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, it, it, it just seems to be that that we're we're at a point th- threshold wise creatively that uh, these indie comics on, on on both platforms seem to be really uh, solidifying in terms of we're going to be around for a while. This is not some flash in the pan thing. This is. Mm-hmm something that looks like it's going to be and I don't want I don't want to say it's the next image comics, but it really does feel like it's that kind of a shift in terms of what the creators are doing now whether or not the audience is going to continue to follow and back that because in some books you've got you know 200 400 hundred six600 backers some some you've got a thousand some some you've got three or four thousand uh-huh. that's still, in the overall grand scheme of things, that's still not a lot of people, even though the financial windfall is such that it's, that it's financially good for you guys. Sure. How do you expand the audience? How do we get more people interested, not necessarily in your comic book, but comic books in general and, and, and expand the market?
2: Well, I mean, I I think phase one uh, you know, and again, just speaking primarily in comics gate terms, um, phase one, I think for all of us was YouTube, you know, like uh, I, th- I think it was Ethan. It might've been someone else, but someone, you know, in their early days described it as YouTube is the water cooler for the 21st century. Um, YouTube is where the audience is. And so I think for these, the past, like, you know, two or three years, even now, each. Um, that's gotten us to where we're at with this like solid user base. So then you just expand from there, right? Like you keep up your YouTube platform, you you build your YouTube platform. Like I'm certainly trying to build mine. Um, and you look for where else the audience is and you try to make your ends, you know, like I, I think where people, especially when you talk about creatives who are still working within the mainstream or, Asp- aspiring creators who have only seen mainstream creators do their own stuff, I think one of their shortfalls is they always market themselves within where they think the audience is. So you'll see, you know, a lot of comic shop promotion. You'll see a lot of just like the whole, hey, I did a thing on Twitter. And it, it doesn't really do anything you know like uh you look at someone like sean gordon murphy with uh his plot holes campaign and sure i think it's up to like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. and you know especially for like a smaller creator like myself that would be an insane return but for him with the audience that he has and the number of uh books that he's sold for dc comics like that campaign should be in the millions and that that's just showing that he's not going where the audience is. He's not going to YouTube. He's not trying to expand out and like, okay, is there a way to market this stuff on TikTok or Instagram or any other, you know, water cooler? Mm -hmm. Um, it's, I think heading into 2021 and 2022, it's going to be about expanding and looking for those other niches where we could potentially gain new, you know, audience members.
0: I also think that um, 2020 was a very hard hit on independent creators because it took away the conventions. Uh, You rely on YouTube and Twitter and social media to market your books. But at that same time, you've grown the audience that way to such a degree that it's my belief that when the convention seasons do come back and DC and Marvel and Dark Horse all set up their, little booths to promote their books they're going to be in for a rude awakening looking down the aisle of the creators at all the different businesses that have sprung up over the past year who are all these crowdfunders who have their own imprints who have good books and who are sitting at a table with their books and there's not be nothing on that table it's going to say hashtag comicsgate anywhere it's going to be people looking for books finding books and buying books sure that's going to start the word of mouth Uh, person to person rather than email to email
2: Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. all right well in the meantime we will continue to do our part here on youtube and let uh let everybody know that uh for the independent creators uh we do have opportunities to do uh interviews and if anybody is willing to send us books for reviews we are open to that comic gate or not and uh, in the meantime we'll keep an eye on some of these campaigns let me uh go through here really quick and uh show one more time uh deep well the caliber of death this is mike murphy's from tb comics is now in demand over at uh, indiegogo and Um, critical blast logistics if you are in the uk or overseas outside the united states you can check that out and see if that's uh worth the time to take a look and and see if it's a good fit and we will continue to uh, to bring you conversations and and uh, interviews and and talk here and see what we can see what we can do as as our audience grows. Uh, hopefully, we can all kind of scratch each other's back and and see what we can do there. So, uh, R.J. Carter, Mike Murphy, thanks very much for being here today. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Thanks, man. It. All yeah, right, it was a pleasure. And
1: And tonight, don't forget, we have episode number two hundred and fifty of the H two O podcast. It is our eighth anniversary special. We're very excited about it. Um, We've kind of got an idea for the topic. Uh, I think like the last minute, (laughs) we might support. Well, we've been talking about it, and and now it's just a question of getting it all set up uh, because we're gonna. We're kind of we're going to kind of revisit an idea, but uh, it is going to be our eighth anniversary special tonight. Two hundred and fifty episodes. That's at nine p.m. Eastern, eight p.m. Central. Live here, and uh, I think, like I said, I think this is the last uh, the last one of these for the year, but uh, might not be. Who knows? We'll see.
0: Well, congratulations uh, on sticking it out so long and uh, having such a successful run with that.
1: Uh, Yeah, congratulations, man. Thank you very much. And uh, well, I do want to thank everybody who has uh, been a part of our audience and been uh, everywhere here with us over the the last couple of years, especially since we've come back. And hopefully in 2021, we'll have even more to talk about, and uh, we will continue to bring you content uh, as best we can, and hopefully it continues to, uh, to be of value here. And uh, you can leave us a comment. You can send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. Uh, you can check us out as a podcast over on all of the various different podcast platforms. iHeart radio, Amazon music, Spotify, Apple podcast, tune in, Spreaker stitcher, double twist. We are all over the place. And so that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. We will be back with more later. Have a good weekend. Have a Merry Christmas. Have a Happy Hanukkah. Happy Holidays. Happy New Year. Stay safe. Wash your hands.
0: Bye. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.